Well, good morning, church. It's uh, great to be worshipping together and to come under the word and blessing of God's Holy Spirit. And uh, the text that we're looking at this morning is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 58. And I just want to share with you um, how God has put this in my heart, but also to link it in with um, the I Am series that we recently had, and particularly Easter Sunday, which was um, a message from John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. And so in that passage, which I'll read with you, uh, we see that Jesus declares himself as the resurrection and the life. The context is that Lazarus has died and uh, Martha is talking with Jesus and Jesus responds to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And so in our um, passage from 1 Corinthians 15, uh, I want to help us see more about what Jesus meant by he is the resurrection and the life. And uh, if you want to have context for the broader passage on the 12th of January, um, this year, um, I preached on the first half of 1 Corinthians, the background and everything. So if you want to go back to that, you can. But we're picking up from uh, verse 35 this morning. And uh, Louis is going to read um, the second reading, which is from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 10. So I'll hand it over to Louis to read that passage. All right. Good morning, church. Today we'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 to 10. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For this, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our earthly dwelling. If indeed by putting on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, that we would be further clothed, so what, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, so that we are always of good courage. We know that while we are, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now as we uh, come to our text this morning... I also wanted to read uh, a passage or a, uh, a confession of faith that comes from one of our church confessional statements, the, the Lord's Day. And uh, it's Lord's Day 22, and there's two questions and then answers. The first one is, how does the resurrection of the body comfort you? And the Heidelberg Catechism says, not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life, to Christ its head, but also my very flesh will be raised 
by the power of Christ, reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. Question 58 asks, how does the article, this is the article in the Apostles' Creed, how does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? The answer, even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has ever imagined, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Before I, I read the 1 Corinthians passage, I, I just would like to um, introduce the subject and then uh, pray and then read the text. And as I introduce the subject, I want you to imagine that you have to attend two funerals. You are at the graveside, firstly, of someone who didn't believe in Jesus. And so people are gathered there, hoping that death was the end, maybe of suffering or whatever. So there are tears, there are sadness, but it's a bit like a dead end. What hope is there for the future for someone who, who doesn't have faith in Christ? Well, the Bible does say that there would probably be an extreme shock, the shock of Judgment Day, because 2 Corinthians 5.10 in our reading says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, everyone. But then you come to the other funeral you have to come to. It's one where the person who died was a believer in Jesus. And you're still confronted with the same enemy, death. But the perspective at this funeral is so different. There are still tears, there's still sadness. But yet that funeral is filled with hope. It's resurrection hope. And at that funeral, we read passages like Job 19, 25 to 27, where it says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet my flesh will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me, says Job. But then we also read words like what Jesus says in Revelation 1, 17 to 18. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. They are the words of Jesus. You see, he's been there. He's conquered death and he is alive. Now every grave... In every cemetery is a monument to grief. Without Christ, death is the beginning of a never-ending hopelessness. With Christ, death has been conquered. That's why we can be full of hope. So there's a world and a heaven of a difference between these two ways of dying. Now, we looked at the Lord's Day, which looked at the Apostles' Creed statements. It's interesting to think that it took a couple of hundred years to formulate the essentials of the Christian faith into 12 statements. But two of them, the last two, have got to do with the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. 
And so as we introduce our topic, I, I want to uh, see how these faith statements comfort us and give us hope. That's what we want to look at in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, there's another thing I'd like to mention as part of the background to this subject. Just as seeing people who are made in God's image gives dignity to all human beings, so seeing every person as a spirit being in a human body, now and for eternity, becomes a game changer. It changes everything about how you view a person. For instance, if an unborn baby is a spiritual being who's in a human body and will live for eternity, what do you reckon about that? Or what about how we see an elderly person or how we see a dying patient? I think that as we understand this, it will truly inform our respect for human life. Because to say that we are only cells and blood and bones actually dehumanises us. But that's what our culture is telling us every day. That's what our culture lives by. You're just flesh and blood and then tomorrow you're gone. To say that we are eternal spiritual beings in a temporary human body that will rise again truly humanises us. Glory be to Jesus. Because he is alive, he is risen and that's why I can have hope and you can have hope. And that's why Peter says we, we have to find these reasons to explain the hope that we have. So let me pray before we come to our text. Father God in heaven, I just want to say thank you that you are a communicating God. That you are a God who speaks. You speak your heart to us. And you tell us about ourselves, the things that we don't even know. You are a revealing God. And you tell us more in this passage than probably we've even thought in our human life. More to think of for today and for tomorrow and for eternity. So Holy Spirit, please use these words from the scriptures and the words from my mouth to speak your message, to proclaim your truth, words of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So please uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and we're beginning our reading at verse 35. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV 2011 version. So this is God's word. Um, find your Bibles or your iPads or your phones, and we'll begin at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are also earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. 
The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendour. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. So this is the word of the Lord and may his blessing rest upon it. We're going to look at uh, three points this morning. And uh, the first one is what makes death so fearful uh, and give some answers to that. The second one is about the hope and comfort of the resurrection of the body. And the third one is that we can already live the beginnings of our heavenly life on earth. So the first point is, what makes death so fearful? And the quick, short answer is, it is the severing of the soul from the body. We only have to look at the creation of the first man, Adam. And that account is given to us in Genesis chapter 2, Verse 7, which I'll read. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So you can see what the text is saying, that God forms Adam, he forms his body out of dust, and then the Spirit of God breathes life into Adam. This life comes from the breath of God, and that's our soul that he breathes in. So body and soul belong together by God's design. 
So when we talk about death, we're talking about the reverse of life, where the breath, the life spirit or the soul goes out of us. It's like we expire. But the hope of the resurrection to eternal life is that that breath, that life spirit, that soul, is reunited with our new body, perfect and fully alive in Christ. And that's why that reading we read in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1 says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Just pause to think about that. Our body is spoken of as an earthly tent. It deteriorates. It gets rolled up. But at the resurrection, our body is like a building from God, eternal, eternal house in heaven, not even built by our human hands, but built by God. So I want to, I want to have you sense the temporary versus the permanent. The body is temporary, but our resurrection body is permanent. It will be alive. It will be without sin. It'll be even not able to sin. Joy unimaginable because of Jesus, who is our resurrection hope. And that is true for everyone who puts their faith and trust and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he has done in his life and on the cross and over the grave. Now we need to see what the Bible says about our soul and what happens after death. We also need to see something about the resurrection body to which our souls will be reunited. So I want to talk a little bit about the soul. What is our soul? The soul is what makes you, you. It's not your flesh, not your bones, not your blood. It's the part of you that thinks and speaks and feels and acts. But it's not your brain. It's not your tongue. It's not your hands. You see, your soul gives you your personality. It's the inside part of you that rejoices and laughs and cries, even feels hurt or embarrassed or honoured. For example... What part of you feels the joy when you graduate from university? Is it your head part? Is it your heart part? Is it your hands that did the writing? No, it's, it's your soul. What about when you get a, a car or truck or boat licence and you're jumping for joy? What, what part of you is rejoicing? Or when you get married... And you feel that joy of being together. Is it joy that's in your heart? Well, that's a pumping organ. Is it in your hands or your feet? No, it's in your soul. When you win a running race and you are excited, it's your soul that is excited. And on the other side, what part of you feels hurt when you are slandered or embarrassed? Is it your hands? Is it your eyes? Is it your face? No, it's your soul. It's the real you, the deep part of you that we call the soul. 
Now, death, or at least part of death, is the soul leaving the body. The body of a loved one is now lifeless, we say. We say life has gone out of the body. We even say things like, he or she is not here anymore. The body may be lying there, but the person we knew has moved house. Now, the glory of the gospel is that Jesus saves the whole person, body and soul. When we die, our, our bodies break down, they disintegrate. But what happens to our soul after death if you believe in Jesus? Well, that is part of the comfort of this passage. The comfort is that our souls immediately go to be with the Lord. Now, admittedly, we don't know all the details and there are questions that we cannot answer this side of heaven. But what the scriptures do reveal is written for our assurance and comfort. And so we want to look at a few passages this morning. The first one is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. And I'll only read verses 19 to 24, but in your study time, you can look at the broader context. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 24. Luke 16, 19 to 24. And we see this is the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. Note verse 22, where God's word says that the beggar Lazarus died and angels carried him to Abraham's side. Him. Think about it. Him. He's dead. But he is carried. See, it's that holistic thinking that Hebrews have. The soul is also you, fully you. Another passage is Luke 23, verse 43, where we see the thief on the cross. Now, he came to believe in Jesus in those last hours before his death. And the thief says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what was Jesus' answer? He says, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today. Jesus spoke just before midday and before the day was over, he, that is his soul, his spirit, would join his Lord in paradise, even though his body was still nailed to the cross. And a few verses later in verse 46, we see that Jesus himself is on the cross and just before he died, and breathed his last, he called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so Jesus knew that his spirit would go to be with God the Father, even though his body was still nailed to the cross. 
And lastly, Philippians 1, 21 to 24, a really important passage. Philippians 1, verses 21 to 24. Verse 21, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So Paul is torn between this living in the body, serving Christ, or dying, departing from this body, and be with Christ. He says the latter is better by far but the former is more necessary. Now, if you look at those words where Paul says to die is gain, that can only be true for Paul if he immediately goes to be with the Lord. What is there to be gained if you're not with God, with Christ? So scripture knows nothing about soul sleep between death and Jesus' return. Scripture knows nothing about a halfway house between heaven and hell known by Roman Catholics as purgatory. It's true that God is above space and above time, so when we die and are with God, we'll also be above space and time. But that's where we have to imagine and wait for Jesus' revelation. And if Romans 8 is to be true in all its ways, you know, the beautiful passage which tops and tails with no condemnation, no separation, if that really means what it says, then there is no time ever when believers who have died are apart from Christ. No separation. No separation. The soul, even when separated from your body, your soul will never be separated from Christ. I reckon we should say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Never separated. We've seen our souls are taken mysteriously through the work of God's divine messengers. Notice how the angels carried Lazarus' body. Our souls will be taken immediately to Christ. There is not a moment's separation from Christ our head. So whoever doesn't long for heaven, in a way, doesn't long for Jesus. Do you agree with that? Now, we've got a question to ask ourselves there. Is earth so good for us that we never want to leave it? Do you have to seriously ask yourself that question? Is earth so good that you never want to leave it? Are you so attached? And if heaven is so much better, why wouldn't you want to be there? It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has set eternity in our hearts. So you know what that means? Every person who has ever lived has an eternal future. Every person who's ever lived has an eternal future. And here's the big question. Where are you going to spend eternity? That is a good question to think about. For those who are doing the Turbo Kids quiz, this is a heads up for one of your answers. We are eternal spiritual creatures with a short human life. I just want to say that again. We are eternal spiritual creatures with a short human life. Life on earth is like 
a drop in the bucket. It's like one bus stop on a long journey and you blink and it's over. And that has been the comfort of God's people all through the ages, that our resurrection hope for eternity gives us strength even now to cope with life's temporary difficulties. And that's true for being in persecution or in trials or in suffering. And as history tells us about the saints of God who've lived through that with the hope of the resurrection in their minds. So in other words, a hope for the future that helps you make sense of today. And I think that's why 1 Corinthians 15 ends with, in a way it's an unusual verse, verse 58. But as Andrew tells us, therefore, you know what that means? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Why? Your eternity is secure. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Now that's the first point. It's by far the longest one. Next two, much shorter. Second thing is, another comfort of the resurrection hope is this. The reunion of our soul with our very own body, a body That'll be transformed like Christ's glorious body. So this is what the Bible says. At the resurrection, our souls will be rejoined to our bodies. But our bodies are going to be remade like Christ's glorious body. Now, I've been thinking about that. Christ's glorious body. Perfection. And I, I can't even describe perfection because there's nothing on earth that's perfect. But think about that. Our souls being rejoined to our bodies. Do you doubt this? Because the Bible could not be more definite. Look at verses 42 to 44 in chapter 15. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, this body is going to be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So the same essential body that we live in today is the same body which at the resurrection will be raised in the power of Christ. That's an awesome thought. But I'd like to illustrate it for you the way Paul does. He's saying that the seed that we sow is different from what will be coming out of the ground later on. The seed has in it all the DNA of the plant to come. Now, the seed doesn't look like the plant, but it will be transformed into the plant after burial and germination. Paul uses the illustration of a a grain of wheat. Well, I want to use a a typical um, gum nut. If I open that gum nut, there's going to be a few seeds there. And you've all seen plenty of gum trees. You know how big a gum tree is, even just looking outside. But that's a seed. That's a seed that's sown, buried, and it will be transformed into A gum tree, a beautiful gum tree. That's the illustration Paul is using. 
So there's a principle we can extract from that. And I want you to really think about this. These words are really important. It's the same with our bodies when they're resurrected. There is a principle of continuity and discontinuity. Those words are important for turbo kids in your sheet. Notice what Job says. In my flesh, with my own eyes, I will see him. He's talking about the body that he has. Not another body, not a totally foreign body. The same body will return to us. It's a principle of continuity like the seed and discontinuity transformation. Now, now I'm sure we all want proof of this. Let me say it like this. That is what happened to Jesus. The same body that hung on the cross and that was laid in the grave, the same body that the nail holes in his hands and the spear wound in his side, because Jesus showed them and the scars were still there, Jesus has the same body, even though it's a resurrected body. And he is the first fruits, so we are going to follow. So what happened to him will happen to us. And he is the living proof of that. In our text, it goes further to say this, as was the earthly man, us, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, Jesus, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. And I think the most important text in this is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. Listen to what God's word says here. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, this is it, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So when I say that you're going to get your own body back, I can almost anticipate some questions. Pastor Bill, are you, are you for real about me getting my own body back? You know, I'm not terribly happy with my nose. You mean I've got to have the same nose again? What about my eyes? What about my shape, my body shape or my size? And forgive me for thinking like this, but as we get older, we can be inclined to think that our bodies are not much good is this the body that I'm going to have again later? Because we grow weak, we get tired, we get sick, and we still all have to die. Well, the truth is this. One day, God Almighty is going to exercise his power through the Lord Jesus Christ. At the blast of a trumpet, the dead will rise. You know, there is going to be such a stirring in the graves. I want you to imagine being in a cemetery on that day. Imagine what's going to happen to the ground. And I, my picture is a mental picture of the Kingston Cemetery. It's on a hillside facing east and west. And I can imagine Resurrection Day when, when the graves are going to be open and destroyed and deformed bodies are made whole again. What a day that is going to be. You know, we marvel when a new baby is born. 
And Lord willing, for Sabrina and Joel and for Michelle and Jeeves, and I can say now for our son, Adrian, who many of you know, and Kat, they're, they're going to have new birth this year, Lord willing. And we marvel at new birth. But think about this. God is going to do a greater wonder when he brings the dead to life again. We will then have the ultimate makeover. Lastly, I want to tell you something about resurrection truth for now. It's not all future. We already live with the beginnings of our eternal life on earth now. There's a saying that's worth remembering. It's not pie in the sky when you die. It's steak on your plate while you wait. Think about it. Ephesians 1, 18-20 is Paul applying this resurrection truth in a prayer. This is how he says it. He says, May the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul is praying that we'll see the power of the risen Christ even in our lives now. Now, Jesus said that his followers would do greater works than he did. That's, that's us. We can do that. Do you ever think that we have resurrection power at work in us? Paul's praying, may the eyes of your heart see that. And I want to give you an illustration which is fairly um, fresh. It's only 10 weeks or so ago that there was this tragedy of four children in Western Sydney who were run down by a drunk driver. You may remember it. I googled it again last night just to see all those things for myself again. And these are children who have ages and names, 9, 11, 12, 13. Sienna, Anthony and Angelina Abdullah and Veronique Sakar. You know, the parents' testimony on the news was amazing. And as you read what they've stated on the internet, um, the father says this. He says, we have 100% grief but we have 100% hope. 100% grief, 100% hope. The father even said that from all the interactions they've had with the funeral and afterwards, many people are coming to believe in Jesus because of the death of these four children. This is what the family's pastor said. This heartbreaking event has touched the hearts of all the community and we ask everyone to continue to pray for the three families entrusting them to the glory of the resurrection and eternal life. These kids were involved in an organisation called Team Jesus, a Christian outreach to the homeless in Blacktown and Parramatta. And their group leader said this, Parents, Danny and Lila, are not raising average children. They are raising children after God's own heart. Amazing to say that when four children wiped out like that so I ask you does believing in the future resurrection to eternal life make any difference today to how you live how you grieve how you hope 
Well, I just say, just ask Danny and Lila. They'll tell you. It doesn't make any difference to what you do with this life and how you live. And I say, just ask the Apostle Paul. He was prepared to wear out his own body in ministry for Christ. And I'd say it's better to wear out than to rust out. You're getting a new body anyway. I want to conclude. I would normally have ended my sermon there, I think, but I've been reflecting on this and it's caused me some interesting reflection. And I'd like to share that with you. It's exercised my mind. It's excited my anticipation of our new bodies as well as what God's going to do with his new creation. And so here, here are some points. They're not complete. They're like throwing out ideas for you to think on. When people are paralysed by fear, the result is panic. And the illustration is COVID-19 and toilet rolls. Yeah, when people paralysed by fear, they panic. But this is what this passage is telling us. When people are activated by hope, the result is productivity. It's ministry. It's mission. It's worth doing what you do today because it has eternal results. That's the first thing. Next thing to think about is this. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Colossians 1.18 now, I've been trying to get my mind around that verse. It really means that Jesus is the ultimate heaven and earth person. He's in heaven. He's been on earth. He's earthly body, risen from the dead. He's in heaven. He, he, he joins heaven and earth in his being. That's how he holds it all together. Just think about that. Another thought. In Christ, we become resurrection people. We are actually living signs of the resurrection. We are agents of new life. And this new life one day is going to flood all of creation. And so the gospel of the age to come has broken into this present evil age through people like us who are gospel light bearers. Another reflection is God is going to do for the whole of creation what he has done for Jesus on Easter Sunday. I'll say it again. God is going to do for all of creation what he has done for Jesus on Easter Sunday. It starts with believers like us who already now have a new life in Christ and the Bible says that God's creation is waiting in eager expectation to be liberated from its bondage to decay and to be brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. A last thought before we conclude. God's plan from the beginning has been to rescue, redeem and re-establish his present creation. He's making a new creation out of the old creation just like he's doing with us. The principle of continuity and discontinuity. So at this moment Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. He's ruling heaven and earth and death has been defeated. And when Jesus returns, death will be abolished. Creation will no longer be subject to decay and heaven and earth will become one established and forever kingdom of God.
between the now and the not yet. We live in this gospel age where the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection to reconcile us to God needs to be declared. That's our resurrection hope. And so if we want more people to be part of this, have a guess what? We have work to do. That's why 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is there. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Let's be those resurrection people and agents of new life in Christ. Amen. Let me lead you in prayer. Father God in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, Saviour, King, Holy Spirit, our Comforter, the one who walks beside us, triune God, you have opened our eyes even more today. You have shed light on the things that we can look into for the future and how that impacts us today. Our prayer, Lord, is that we will be agents of the resurrection that will be resurrection people who will declare that this, what we see, is not all there is. There is much, much more when it comes to our eternity and our life in Christ and with Christ. And Father God, you have set before us today that, that uh, division between those who are in Christ and who have this hope and those who are outside of Christ and are living with a prospect of eternal hopelessness. And if there's anybody listening who hasn't crossed that line to follow Jesus, Lord, we pray today, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day when they embrace the Lord Jesus Christ personally as their Saviour and Lord. And Lord, comfort us. Give us a strong hope, a future hope that impacts everything we do today that we can work hard in our bodies and it won't be in vain and we're going to get a new body transformed like Jesus' body in the end anyway. So let us work hard and be faithful and fruitful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.